All right, lots going on here at Living Word Church. Glad to be a part of all those things and see God do his work in our community. All right, so I'm not preaching this morning. I have my good friend, uh, Chad and Rachel Hayes are here. Uh, I believe I met Chad, yes. I met Chad on a video chat I was in. I was not the senior pastor yet. I was in uh, Matt Carnes' current office. I was in there, and uh, I got invited from a friend of mine that I just met in San Antonio in 2017 to join this pastor's chat. And so that's when I first saw Chad Hayes' face, his nice full beard and everything there. And I got to, get to, I got to know him, and then he, told, he tells me later that whenever he first met me, uh, they all knew about our church and Pastor Renee found out that I was going to be the next pastor. They were like, how old is he again? And uh, so I, that, that was the beginning of, of developing a friendship. And I've been communicating with Chad and the other group of pastors for over two years now through video chats. And he has become a very dear friend. And so I'm going to welcome Chad and Rachel Hayes to come on up and minister God's word to us. Everybody say more than conquerors. Man, I thought Pastor Ben was going to take off and preach this morning. You know, uh, you look at those big prize fighters. They're conquerors, right? I mean, they're, they're trained warriors. They're, they, I mean, they, they go through the rigors. They develop themselves. They go into those rings. They fight those battles in, in the ring. And they win the victory, right? And they bring the check home. You know what they do with that check? That's right, they take it to their, these ladies know, they take it to their wife because their wife is more than a conqueror, right? That's how that works. That's how that works. But uh, I love what Pastor Ben was saying, that, that it's irreversible, amen? Jesus has given us an irreversible victory. There's nothing the enemy can do. There is nothing that the enemy can do to defeat us, amen? We are victors in Christ Jesus, Amen. Praise God. It is good to be here in Homa. It's good to be at Living Word Church. Uh, been hearing about this church. My wife actually has visited here before on a choir tour many, many years ago, back in the old building when Pastor Renee was here. And I was a student at, at IBC here, and Pastor Renee come and preach and minister the word there, International Bible College in San Antonio. I'm a San Antonian. We're, we're living, my wife is, is from the UK, and uh, we're, we're living in Minneapolis. The, the, that's, yeah, that's, you, you already got the joke, right? The, the, the frozen tundra. It, it's already down in the 20s. I heard it snowed there at home yesterday. And uh, so God has taken us like missionaries to a foreign land. <laughs> South Texas boy in, in Minneapolis. And we, last winter we saw negative 54. Yes, so pray for the Hayes family whenever you see the blizzards and all that stuff going on up there. Pray for the Hayes family. How, how many uh, Saints fans we got? All right. I, I, I want to apologize on behalf of all of the Vikings. And here's my apology. Listen closely. I'm sorry that we're not sorry about the Minneapolis miracle. I know that may not sit well with some of you guys. But Skull Vikes. Right, they got a pretty good team this year. We're hopeful this year up in Minneapolis. They're going to do well, hopefully win a Super Bowl. Actually, you know, not going to happen? Come on now. Hey, let me ask you something. Do y'all know why the Vikings eat their cereal straight out of the box? It's because they're afraid of the bowl. Oh, man. I mean, we had, we had the, the, the Super Bowl in our own backyard, beat you guys, and we couldn't even complete the mission and go play in that Super Bowl. That's pretty sad. Vikings got it tough, but anyway, so uh, glad to be here. I've got my, my family with me. I want to introduce you. My wife, Rachel, is here on the piano. She's going to sing for you in just a minute. My son, oldest son, Noah, is back here on the drums. 14 years old. He just passed me. He's like six foot one. It ain't right. And then I've got uh, second son, Nathan. Why, why did my family there on the front row stand? Mom, you can stand too. But I've got Nathan. Jensen is our third son. Bethan, the princess. She's seven years old, and then I'm blessed to have my mom. She's uh, in, in San Antonio, but uh, has been up with us the last three weeks visiting in, us in Minnesota, and so uh, glad to have her with us here this morning. I'm going to get out of the way, and I'm going to allow my wife to minister to you in song this morning.
God, church, we are a people full of glory. Amen. Jesus is coming back. Amen. He's coming soon. That's good news. But here, here's what we need to know. He's not coming back for a group of wishful thinkers. He's coming back for people who are prepared. Amen. The Bible says he's coming back for a bride without spot or blemish. 
Amen? And there, there's a, that's a very prophetic song. There's a call uh, for, for laborers, for those who will work in the harvest. How many of you know the laborers are few? Church, it's time for us to, to begin to work and to prepare. I believe there are great things coming in the days ahead to the church, that we're going to see a harvest like we have never seen. I believe that. It looks dark. It looks very grim when you look at statistics, especially here in the United States. Some of the worst statistics as far as evangelism are here in the United States today. But I believe that that's all about to turn. I believe we're going to see an awakening in our land. We're going to see a harvest of souls. We need to be ready for that. We need to be ready to labor in the harvest and to, to make disciples. Amen? And, and also, I believe we need to position ourselves to pray. I, w- I want to share just the scripture. It's not in my notes for, for the message. I just uh, felt impressed as we were worshiping to share this with you. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 in the New Living Translation says it this way. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. This is an appeal specifically to men. It is gender specific in this, in this passage. It's an appeal to men. I, 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 as I've read this over the last several months, the Lord has impressed this on me and, and, and pressed upon me to challenge the church as we go out and minister a lot. And, 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 and impressed upon me to challenge the men in churches to arise and take the place of an intercessor. We need it. As, I, as I've contemplated this passage, I've thought about all of the great intercessors that I've, I've uh, come across in my lifetime, been in the church nearly my entire life, uh, minus a few rebellious years. But most of the intercessors that I have seen have been ladies. And thank God for them. Thank God for those praying women. Thank God for those women that would uphold the church and uphold their their leadership in prayer. And pray for the lost. Thank God for them. But there's a very specific challenge I think needs to be issued today for men to stand up and take the place of intercessors. Amen? You need to intercede for your family. You need to intercede for your church. You need to intercede for your pastor. Don't let it be relegated to the ladies. Thank God for praying women. But men, we need to take our place. Amen? And it's challenged, this, this word has challenged me. I, I don't want to preach something that I'm not partaking in. That I'm not practicing myself. And so I, I find myself more and more going, just getting away to pray and to intercede for my wife, for my family, for my church, for, for the lost. Amen? Men, we need to take the place that God has called us to lift holy hands in every place of worship and pray. Amen. Without, without anger, without controversy. Amen. This is a position we men in the body of Christ need to take. Amen. So we're, we're preaching in a series. I, I'm, I'm honored to be able to preach in a series with Pastor Ben. I love Pastor Ben. Amen. Do you love your pastors? Amen. The Buffkins are an amazing couple. We, we love Pastor Ben and Estelle. They are amazing folks. And as he said, we, we met in a, a, a pastor's chat a few years back. And, and when I saw Pastor Ben, I saw this, this humble guy. And I thought, my goodness, because I, I, I knew the, the size of this church. I knew about you know, the Christian Academy, all the things that this church is involved in in this community. And what a weight was about to be placed upon his shoulders. And so I prayed for him. I've tried to call him occasionally and encourage him. Because I, I know that, that sometimes you can get weighted down carrying a load like this. And I would encourage you to pray for your pastor. Amen. Because he's carrying a great load. And I, I want Amen. You, give, you, give your pastor some love. That's all right. And I want to say this. Pastor Ben's doing a great job. Amen. I, I, I appreciate... I appreciate his dedication to expound the word of God. Fidelity to the Word of God. There's a lot of guys preaching a lot of other things. And it's a day we need to be faithful to God's Word. And so it's an honor to be involved preaching in this series. We're, 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 we're in, in a series called Do Not Be Anxious. Amen. Do Not Be Anxious. Pastor Ben preached last week about not ceasing to pray. Praying in, all, in everything, in every situation. And I've been listening over the last six weeks as I've, I've been getting prepared to come and minister. I've been listening to Pastor Ben's messages as he preaches through Philippians. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9 today. And I'm going to title this, Think and Practice. Think and Practice. It's the two verbs, the two things that we're admonished to do in this passage of Scripture is to think and to 
practice. Amen? Today's time change Sunday, right? Fall, fall back. You know what that means, right? It means I have an extra hour to preach. Right? You know how that works? Philippians chapter 4. Some of you all are like really nervous right now. Is, it, is he serious? <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray that a door of utterance would be open to me as I communicate the truths of Scripture to this body. Father, Father strengthen the believers, strengthen Living Word Church, this, this body of believers, the leadership of this house, Lord God. May we ultimately... Uh, come to the goal, and that is that we would be more and more like Jesus Christ in the way that we live our lives and all of our actions and all that we do, Lord God, that we would represent you in this community, Father. We thank you for it, and we give you praise. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. So I want you to put on your thinking cap. Of course, every good thinking cap has a chin strap, right? Put on your thinking caps. Think on these things. In the King James, it says it that way. Think on these things. In the CSB, it says dwell on these things. New King James says to meditate on these things. The word there is logizomai, and it means to reckon inwardly, to count up or weigh the reasons, to think on and weigh and take. Take account of these things. In Scripture, thinking is paramount. Kind of contrary to our our culture today, right? But Scripture puts a high value on thinking. It it, it teaches us that there's actually a great battle. The greatest battle that we're involved in is in our mind. It's in our thought life. And so there's, there's a lot of teaching about thinking in the Scriptures. Scripture in Scripture, thinking is paramount. And, you know, a lot of times when we come to church, there's this attitude that we're supposed to check our brains in the parking lot, right? We're, we're, just come, we're, we're supposed to come experience God, but we're not supposed to think too hard. We're not supposed to reason because, you know, it's all faith. And we get into this, you know, super spiritual realm. But the reality is there, there is a balance, and God doesn't necessarily want us to check our minds at the door. God wants us to be a thinking people. There's a reason God gave us brains. There's a reason God gave us an ability to think, to reason, to, to process. And, and it's, it's important to us as believers to understand that. When, whenever I'm making a decision, I, I like to come to uh, an agreement, an alignment with God's will in two areas. In Colossians chapter 1, it talks about it, and, and, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking you, asking, I'm sorry, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We, we need to come to understand God's will, God's purpose for our life in wisdom, in our minds, as well as spiritual wisdom, right? Our, our spirit and our mind comes to a place of agreement. And I believe that's the best way to, to, to make a, a, a good decision. We're, we're kind of in a process right now making some decisions in our life. They're going to affect our lives, going to affect our family. We're, we're praying through these things. And you know what I'm doing? I'm reasoning. I'm considering all of, of the variables, all of the things that are going to impact us. I'm, I'm considering the financials of this decision. I'm considering all the logistics, how it's going to affect us. You know, what, what's that going to mean for us, our, our family, our lives, our ministry? What does this decision... I'm thinking through that very logically, very reasonably. 
And then at the end of the day, you know what I want to do? I want to make a spiritual decision. I want to hear what God is saying about it, right? And and we need not be afraid to, to bring those two realms together. Our logic, our mind, our thought, reasoning through things, and also hearing the voice of the Spirit, hearing the voice of God as we make decisions. Thinking should be uh, right at the forefront of everything that we're involved in. I believe that with, with everything that's on the inside of us. We ought to have our minds fully engaged. We ought to think actively. And we need to reason logically. So I'm, I'm here this morning encouraging you to think. Think. Be, be thinkers. And it, it, not all thinking carries the same weight. Did you know that? Let me give you two, two statements that will help to illustrate that. We, we, we use these statements probably every week of our lives. Off the top of my head, this is what I think. Or from the bottom of my heart, this is what I think about it. Right? Two very different statements. Off the top of your head, that's a very shallow thought. From the bottom of your heart, that's very deep. Do you know that we actually think with our hearts? We do. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We think with our hearts. We think with our minds and we think with our hearts. Science is actually bearing this out. There's some medical journals that that are talking about what happens whenever a a heart transplant takes place. It's amazing that, that, that we can actually do that. In, in today's world, we can take a heart out of one body and put it into another body and it can function and sustain life in the recipient's body. That, that's an amazing thing to me. But the, as, they've, as they've done this, they've done research, they've, they've tracked this, and they're seeing that when a, a person receives a heart, that his likes, his wants, his desires changes to be like the likes, wants, and desires of the donor. They desire some of the foods that the, the donor loves. Their favorite foods become the favorite foods of the recipients. Hobbies, activities. There's actually, uh, on one of these medical journals, there's, there's a report of a man who received a heart from a teenager who died in a, a car crash, and he had a reoccurring dream of that car crash. So science is beginning to show us today that we think with our hearts. So the admonishment from this scripture, you think about, think about all the, the craziness in our world today. This is, a, this is admonishing us to think on all the positive things, but think about all of the craziness in our world. Think about all the confusion in our world. Think about all of the despair in our world. Think about all of the bad news going on in our world today. In the midst of, of a troubled and chaotic society, In a world that is full of trouble, we need a sanctuary. And here's what it is. Our sanctuary is thinking on these things. In the midst of darkness, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, we have a sanctuary that we can run to. A sanctuary in our minds. A place where we can go and we can begin to think on these things. He says that we should think on what is true. Think about all the lies, all the things that are put out to us every day. In the midst of that, think on what is true, what is honorable. Think about all the dishonor. Think about all the shaming that goes on in our society today. All the mudslinging, all the name calling, all the things that are, that are going on around us. And he says, think on what is honorable, what is just in an unjust world. Think on what is just. Think on what is pure. Think on what is lovely. Think on what is commendable. If there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Think about that. Think about all the good things that you've ever experienced. I want to give you a challenge to think on something far better than all of that. All the good things you've experienced in this life. Because I believe that all of these attributes are actually wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Isn't he true? Isn't he honorable? Isn't he just? Isn't he pure? Isn't he lovable? Lovely? Isn't he commendable? 
Isn't he worthy of praise? I mean, listen, if we will fix our minds on Jesus Christ, it is a sanctuary that in the midst of this dark, hurting, perverse world that we live in, we have a place of safety that we can run to. We can fix our thoughts on Jesus Christ and escape from all the trouble that surrounds us. As the waves come crashing in, as the storms rage around us, as troubles come to our door, we can set our minds on Jesus Christ and we have escape. We have a, a refuge. We have a place of protection. We have a sanctuary that we can run to as we fix our minds on Jesus Christ. Amen? Our hearts, our minds, our thoughts need to be centered in Jesus Christ. It's hard to do that if your TV is on all day long to CNN or Fox or MSN. I mean, when you watch those stations, all it is is negativity, right? Right? One side pitted it against another. All of the, and, and they're, they're feeding you lies. They're feeding you things they want you to believe and all these all deceptions. And they're showing you all the negative things. Listen, if you watch the news, here's what you're going to believe about the place where I live, Minneapolis. It, it's being overrun by Islam. And we're, we're cowering in fear in our homes because they're, 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 we're afraid those Muslims are going to kill us. That's what you'll believe if you watch the news. Let me give you the good report. Yeah, the, the, biggest, the biggest, biggest mosque in, in Minnesota is in our neighborhood. 40,000 Muslims attend there. But let me tell you about this. I have a friend that goes into that mosque every single week. And you know what he's doing? He's converting people. Muslims are becoming followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm a South Texas boy. I I remember we we moved to to Minnesota about 14 months ago. I remember when I went to the Walmart for the first time and half of the employees were wearing the head wraps. Half of the shoppers were Muslims. Or about a third of the shoppers were Muslims. I remember, oh my goodness. You you could put me in South Texas with, uh, you know, Latin culture. I could speak the language. I'm comfortable in that. You take me into Minnesota, it's a whole different world. I didn't know how to respond in that. And yeah, I was overcome with some fear. Yeah, I wondered if I, was, I had made the right call, especially when the, the cold began to set in. But you know what God began to do? He began to turn my heart for those Islamic people. I began to pray and ask God to show me how to reach them. I began to read some books, understanding the Quran, understanding where, where, where the Muslim is and what they believe and how we can be effective at reaching them with the gospel. Amen? You can either look at all the negativity and be overcome with it. Or you can think on these things and remember the goodness of God. The things that are just, the things that are true, the things that are lovely, the things that are worthy of praise. The news channel is blasting negativity all day long. Let me give you a good piece of advice. Shut it off. Get by yourself, get with the Bible, look into the Word of God and allow that to change your perspective. Otherwise, your heart will be overwhelmed and you will be overcome with despair. That's, that's a reality. And, and we need to shut all that garbage off, all the, the, the negativity and begin to fix our thoughts on Jesus Christ. How much time do we spend contemplating Jesus? How much time do we spend Meditating on God, his goodness. He saved us. He has filled us with his spirit. He has made us to be partakers of his divine nature. He has set our, he dug us up out of the mud and set our feet upon the rock. He's called us out of darkness and into his light. How much time do we spend thinking about the goodness of God? How much time do we spend with our minds fixed on Jesus Christ? I'm going to tell you, if you will learn to train your mind on Jesus... It will transform your life. It shows us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I love that. From one degree of glory to another. We grow in Jesus by degree. Listen, none of, you, none of us have arrived yet. We're growing by degree. 
Level by level, we're going deeper into the things of God. We're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And that, that's the aim of this thing, that, that we're becoming more and more like Jesus. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As we look into the Bible, as we look into the Word of God, we are changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ day by day day. Degree by degree. Every day our goal should be to be more like Jesus Christ. So we can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own power. But if we fix our minds upon him, if we will behold him, if we will look into his word, the spirit of God, the grace of God will come to our lives and change us and transform us. And we can live as Jesus lived in this world. One of my mentors, David Cook, they, they ask him, I, I love this quote, I hear from him all the time. And David Cook's been here, maybe some of you know who he is. But uh, he, he gives this quote, when they ask him what it means to be a Christian, here's what he says. He says, to be a Christian is to behold him, to become like him, and to beam forth his light. That is the sum of our Christian life. To behold Jesus, to become like him, and to beam forth his light. Listen, if if we set our mind on Jesus, we will eventually begin to live like Jesus. There's, There's two admonishments in this passage of Scripture. To think and to do or practice, right? We, we, we know that, that, uh, phrase, I think, therefore I am. That's actually from the Latin, cognito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. And there's, there's a biblical truth in that, in that idea. What we ponder, we're going to eventually practice. If we think about Jesus, if we fix our minds upon him, we will eventually live like him. That's, that's the thought here. Like, uh, passage of scripture, let's see, I thought I had it here in my notes. Yeah, John, chapter 2. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's a, that's a challenging concept. You want me to live like Jesus? Man, if you only understood the greed that's in my heart, the anger that's in my heart, the, all, all these things that are wrapped up in us. You're telling me you, I, I'm supposed to overcome all of those human emotions, all of those sin, the, the sinful nature that I, that, that's in me? Yes. That's the aim of the Christian life. That we would rise above all of that and we would live as Jesus lived. Listen, folks, I'm not telling you you can do this in your own strength. Absolutely not. I've tried that. Just a a little bit of my my story. When I was born again, I I had been drunk for three years. Three years of my life. And for the first 18 months, I struggled with alcohol. Alcohol. You know why I struggled? It's because I tried to get rid of it myself. I tried to work it out myself. I tried to overcome it in my own strength. You know what had to happen? I had to have an encounter with God. I had to have an overwhelming encounter from, with God that, that literally wiped me out. Like it, it erased me. And it only came because I yielded myself fully to him, surrendered completely to him. And I'm going to tell you what, after that experience, I walked out of that church building that night and I knew that I was free. Amen? There's a victory. And it can only come through Jesus. We can't work that out ourselves. We can't make that happen. We can't do it. Going back to our text in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I mean, that's that's encouragement to me, that God will be with me. The God of peace is with me. Because I, I can't do it in my own strength. I need him with me. Amen. There's a prayer my father-in-law prayed over us at our at, at, at our wedding. I'll never forget that. He, he prayed over us. He had an opportunity to come up and lay hands on Rachel and I and pray over us. And he said, God, you could bless them. You could give them the many, many promises, many things, but give them the greatest gift of all. Lord, let your presence be with them. He referred back to Moses when God tried to send him and, and he said, he gave Moses the promise, I'll send an angel to be with you. And, and Moses said, no, Lord, I'm not going unless you go with me. Amen. 
How many of you are thankful for the promise that he is with us, that he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us? Amen? Without that, I would be hopeless and helpless. Without the power of God working and active in my life, I have absolutely no hope. But as we behold him, as we look at him, as we gaze upon him, freedom, liberty, growth, power come to us. Amen? As we look at Jesus, the power to overcome comes to us. To have power in our lives, we must contemplate the person of Jesus. It's key. The life we live is a reflection of our thoughts. And our lives will always move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. That's truth. Right? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Another scripture says, out of the, out of the heart flow all of the issues of life. The, 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 the essence of who you are is based upon your thought life. So when our minds, our hearts, and thoughts are set upon Jesus, it changes everything about us. It does. Victory. Power, strength, freedom comes to us. I want to read the scripture to you again. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Those, I want you to ponder this, deeply, deeply ponder this. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That sums it all up, doesn't it? We are to live as Jesus lived. Amen? That's what God calls us to. Paul gives an admonishment in Romans chapter 13. He says, this is all the more urgent. For you know how late it is. Time is running up. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. How many of you know it's dark? But the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't practice in the darkness of wild part, or, I'm sorry, participate in, in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and check this out. Don't let yourselves think about ways to indulge your, your evil desires. What are you thinking on? What are you meditating on? What are you feeding your soul with? What are you involved with on the computer? What are you involved with on your television? Your radio. Your, your, people don't listen to the radio much anymore, do they? Your, your, your iPad, iPod. What are we feeding ourselves? What are we meditating on? I want to tell you that that victory is wrapped up in what we're consuming. Why am I defeated? What are you thinking about? What is your mind set on? Where have you fixed your affections? Have you fixed them on Jesus or have you wrapped them up in other things? I want to wrap it up with this. There is a purpose in this this book of Philippians. There's a reason Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. The reason that he writes the letter to the Philippians is to change their mindset. The way that they're thinking about things. I want to start explaining this by giving you a a biblical hermeneutic. a, A way to study the scriptures. This was developed by one of my mentors, Brother Van Gill. They call it the Gil Hermeneutic, and it's a way of studying scriptures. And here's the idea that whenever you approach any book of the Bible, you're going to find three things in it. You're going to find a problem that needs to be solved. You're going to find a presentation of Jesus, and you're going to find a promise. A problem, a presentation of Jesus, and a promise. There's a great model of this in Revelation, the book of Revelation, the seven churches. Remember, every one of those seven churches, there was a problem, right? The church of Pergamos, there were a lot of problems, but the main problem was that they had bad doctrine. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans. 
They had bad, bad doctrine. And that was the heart of their problems. All of the other problems came because of the fact that they had a bad doctrine. Right? So then there's a presentation of Jesus. He's the one with the two-edged sword that proceeds out of his mouth. What is that? That's the word of God. Right? So the presentation of Jesus is the way that we overcome the problem. The way you overcome the, the, the problem of bad doctrine is getting back to the book. Right? Getting back to the pure doctrine of God. And then, then the promise to those who overcome the problem of bad doctrine is that, you will, uh, that, that manna from heaven will come down. The bread of life. Think about that. The word come down from heaven. That's the promise to all who overcome. The problem, bad doctrine, the, the way you overcome it is through the word of Christ. And, and the, the promise is that you will receive more word. Manna that comes down from heaven. You see that in all seven of the churches. There's a problem, there's a, promise, a presentation of Christ, and there is a promise. So in the book of Philippians, there's a problem. You know what that problem was? It's, it's found in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, verses 2 and 3. There were these two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche, and it's always the ladies causing problems. Just kidding. How many of you know guys cause problems too? Right? Men say amen. All right, thank you. Save me. So these two ladies, he says, I I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So there's a problem in the church, and it's a problem of division. We don't know what they were divided over. It may have been the way they took the offering. It may have been the way they did the worship set. It may have been the color of the new chairs. We don't know. It doesn't tell us what the problem was. But there was a division in the church at Philippi. And that's why Paul writes this entire letter. It's to deal with the problem in the church. So what's the presentation of Jesus in the book of Philippians? Y'all remember? Let this mind be in you. I mean, let's, let's, let's read the passage here. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and has given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So the presentation that is made here of Jesus is that he is a servant. How do you overcome division in the church? How do you overcome division in your marriage? By serving one another. Why, why do people promote their own agendas in the church? Why do people promote their own agendas? You've got a husband promoting his agenda and a, a wife promoting their agenda and they're going in two different directions. Why do we do that? It's because we've got some kind of a need that we're trying to fulfill. Whether it be a need for love, acceptance, affirmation, whatever. There, there may be some greed in your heart or something going on there. there. There's something in your heart that's broken that needs to be fixed. There's a need that needs to be met within us. And so we're pushing our own agendas. I want to do, to do it this way. Because if we do it this way, I'll get the glory. I want to do it this way. Because if we do it this way, it'll work out better for me and my family. And we're trying to advance our own agendas and it's causing division amongst the body. This is what's going on at Philippi and Paul is writing to them to change their mindset about the way they're thinking about things. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself. Man, it can be hard to humble ourselves, especially when we're right. Especially when our way is the best way. Right? Especially when my way will work. We've got to learn to humble ourselves. Right? Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, he said, I beseech you that you would endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That means you've got to work for it. 
Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace with humility, with long-suffering. We've got to suffer long with one another in order to promote unity in the body of Christ. Paul writes this entire letter. As you read through the book of, of Philippians, you'll see this, this theme of serving. I'm a bond servant. He, he, he starts the letter saying, I'm a bond servant. He says, I'm sending to you Timothy because Timothy is, is like no other son that I've had. He doesn't think of his own needs, but the needs of others first. He's modeling to them this lifestyle, this Christ-likeness that he wants them to take up, to stop pushing their own agendas, to stop promoting their ideas and causing divisions in the body. And, 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 and he's admonishing them to humble themselves and to live as Christ lived, who uh, humble themselves to the point of obedience, even to the point of death upon the cross. Let me, let me say this. this. This may startle some of you. It startled me the first time I heard this statement, but our God is a humble God. Our God is a humble God. If it, if it weren't true, you know what? Every one of us in this room would be crispy critters. Because we have all rebelled against him. We have all fought him. We have all been at one point or another in our lives his great adversaries, uh, pitted against him. And he had every right to send lightning bolts down and zap every one of us. But he's a humble God. He's patient. He's kind. He's long-suffering, not willing that any of, of us would perish. That's the heart of God. Our God is a very humble God who left. You think about that. He vacated his throne, the robe that he wore, the crown and the scepter. He set all that aside, was birthed through the matrix of a woman, came and lived on this planet for 33 years as a human being. He humbled himself. And was obedient to the point of death upon the cross. Paul is driving a point home here in this book. Let's think about Jesus. Let's take on his mindset. Let's stop looking at all the things that we could fight about. All the things that we could choose to bicker about. All of the things that are causing division. Let's begin to think on the things that are true. And just. And lovely. Yodia, can you think of anything nice to say about Syntyche? Syntyche, is there anything that you could praise Yodia for? Maybe there's an adversary sitting across. Maybe you're sitting over here, and they're over here on the other side of the building. Is there anything that you could find that's lovely about that person? Maybe it's a husband and wife. Is there a husband sitting over here? Your wife's over there? Listen, when we begin to thank God for our wives, when we begin to value them and appreciate them, when we begin to humble ourselves as husbands and serve them, unity comes. That's what the whole point of this book of Philippians is all about. So I've told you the problem was division. Given you the presentation, which is Jesus. Can any of you figure out what the promise is? There's a problem of division. The way that you overcome that is being like Jesus and humbling yourself and taking on the, the, the form of a servant. What's the promise to those who overcome this, this thing of division? Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And I will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. Again, why do we try to advance our agendas? Because of the need that we've got. We promote our agendas to try to get our needs met. And Jesus is telling us here, Paul's telling us here in this, in this book, that if we'll, instead of doing that, advancing our agendas and causing division, and if we'll choose instead to humble ourselves, that God himself will meet our need. The big hole in your heart, if you'll learn to humble yourself, God will fill it. The heartfelt need that you have, if you'll humble yourself, God himself will meet your needs. I want to close with a, a very familiar passage of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power, to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion 
raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The enemy works in the realm of our thought life. Every place that we believe a lie, you know what happens? He, he, he sets up a fortress in our mind. Every place that we begin to reason and argue and set up our opinions, the enemy's got a place in our mind where he can work. But God's given us a mighty weapon. Amen? Spiritual weapons. And if we'll learn to get victory in our thought lives, I love, there's a friend of mine, he, he sent me this on, on this verse. He, it's a translation, and I'm not sure where he got it, but it says, we can put every thought on trial against the word of God and demolish it. I don't know if that's his translation or where he got it from, but that's the reality. Amen? We have the weapon of the word of God. We've got the weapon of worship. When, with the, just our, our, our mindsets. Listen, if we will set our minds on things above, victory will come to us. Amen? Bring every thought captive. Bring it into the obedience of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Or how about thoughts of greed and envy? How about thoughts of lust? No, conquer those things. Get into the word of God. Look into the scripture. And and, and this is what I love about the Bible. How many of you would be mortified if you went out to the bathroom and looked in the mirror and you saw my reflection. Think about it, ladies. You saw my beard looking back at you. Scare you to death, right? You know the Word of God is a mirror? And, and Paul, I'm uh, sorry, James, he admonishes, he says, don't, don't just be hearers of the word only, be doers, practice, do the word, live it out. Don't just be hearers, but be doers also, right? You know how people get to the place of self-deception where they can, we have men standing in pulpits today saying it's okay for a man to marry another man. You know how Christians can come to that point of deception? It's not because they don't have access to the truth. It's because they received the truth and rejected it. It's because they heard the word and did not practice it. They did not live it out for some. It says, don't be a, a, a hearer of the word only and not a doer, because in that you deceive yourselves. The way we come to a place of subdeception is, is when we hear the word of God, we reject it and don't practice it and live it out. If you have a lifestyle of coming to church week after week and then not living out the word that you're hear, hearing being taught and getting into your Bible and reading day after day and not living out the things that you're reading, not practicing those things, you will eventually come to a place where you are self-deceived. So blind that you can't even see the trap that you're set in. Here's the beauty of it. As we look into the word, as it said in the text that I read earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, as we look into the word, I don't see Chad. You know what I see? I see Jesus. And I see who I am in Christ Jesus. He has made me to be a partaker of his divine nature. I can live in this world as he lived, by his power, by his spirit, by his grace, operating in me. Amen? I don't want to just see the word. I, just, I don't want to sit in the church service on Sunday and hear the word. I want to live it out. I want to look like Jesus Christ as I live in this world. Dad was an awesome man. My father was a great guy. He was a selfless servant. I went to work when I was in Bible college for his company as a dispatcher. He was a truck driver over the road. Truck driver, he hauled petroleum, gas, Diesel, jet fuel, those types of things. And I went to work for that company when I was in Bible college as a dispatcher. And I remember going into the, the, the training. I had to uh, ride for a week with different truck drivers to see what they actually did out in the field. So we would go to the terminals and load the fuel and go to the stations the, and, and deliver that. And I remember I was riding with a guy named Alfonso. 
And we got to a terminal and we were loading the tanks on his, on his truck. And this, this gentleman came over and Alfonso said, hey, I want to introduce you to someone. And he said, this is Chad Hayes. And the guy just kind of half-heartedly shook my hand and, and kind of almost ignored me. And then Alfonso said to him, this is Jack Hayes' son. And that man immediately stopped. He took his gloves off, came back, shook my hand, looked me in the eye, and he said, it is an honor to meet you. Your dad is an amazing man. I pastored in in San Marcos, Texas for nine years. My dad was my greatest doorkeeper. He would show up for work days, fundraisers, whatever it was. He was right in the middle of it. And he was working hard, working for the kingdom. Never preached a message in his entire life. But you know, he lived it out every single day. I had a lady come up to me before church had started. She had never been to our church before. She walked up to me and she said, Pastor Chad, my name is such so-and-so. Glad to meet you. I found my home church. You haven't even heard my amazing preaching yet. You haven't heard my beautiful wife sing yet. How do you know this is your home church? I asked her. I said, you haven't heard me preach. You haven't heard my, the worship yet. You haven't been involved in anything yet. How do you know this is my, your home church? And she said, because when I walked in the door, your dad made me feel at home. My dad was a man of, full of joy. My dad wasn't negative. My dad was a guy who thought on these things. Pure things, things that were true, things that were praiseworthy. And you know what? It reflected in his life. He had joy. Didn't have a lot of things, but he could walk into a room and light it up with a smile. Think on these things. Let them transform you. If you'll do it, you'll live different. Amen? Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. The entrance of your word, there is light. Father, I pray that the word of God would shine brightly in our hearts today, Lord God. Lord, search our hearts and reveal to each and every one of us, Lord God, if there is any unpure thing in us, if there are things that we need to change, Father, I pray that you would help us. How many, how many of you in this room would say, I need a change in my thought life? Just lift your hand. I want to pray for you. I want to think differently. Listen, this is going to take some action on your part. You need to take some steps toward this. Turn some stuff off and get your Bible out. Amen. I'm going to pray for you. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone that has lifted their hand today. Lord God, help us. Lord, come by your grace. Come by your spirit. Come by your power right now and minister to each and every one of us, oh God. Father, help us. Lord, help us to change our affections, Lord God, that we will turn our backs to the world and set our eyes upon you. Father, that we will look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord God. Father, do a work in each and every one of us. Change our hearts. Change the way that we think. Change the way that we process. Lord, let each and every one of us have access to the mind of Christ, Lord God. Lord, that we can have the wisdom of heaven as we live our lives. Father, as we make decisions, as we go forward, as we encounter people in our communities, Lord God, help us to think as you think, Lord God. Give us access, Lord God, to heavenly wisdom. Father, it's, it's far superior to, to human reasoning, Lord God. Our, our own emotions, our own thoughts, our own desires, Father. Help us to triumph over all of those things, Lord God. And think with a lofty thought pattern, Lord God. Exalted thoughts. That our minds would be set upon high. That our affections would be set upon you, Lord God. Father, help us, Lord God. Change us and transform us. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. God bless each and every one of you. Pastor Ben.